Praise God. It's so good to be in Newark today. Give honor to Bishop Beardsley and Sister Beardsley and also Dr. Beardsley and his wife. Such an honor to be here with them. And uh, I have, as every evangelist has in the United Pentecostal Church, a home church of record. Because we have to, um, and and I like that church. My daughter goes there. Been a longtime friend of Brother Charles Hurst. If any of you know Charles Hurst, um, but that being said, Newark is where my heart and my soul is fed. Um, your live broadcast makes it so that I can go to church every week, even when I preach every week somewhere else. Sometimes one of the biggest problems with traveling ministers, they don't ever get fed themselves. And we wonder why they begin to feed people a starvation diet because they're starving. Praise God. Such an honor to be here. And so most weeks, I either watch it live or I watch it later. Such an honor. Some of the most powerful messages. Um, I've heard in the last couple of months, just an honor to be here. My wife always comments, a few weeks ago she said, how come everybody at Newark is so, their delivery is so sophisticated and so eloquent? Really what she was saying is, how come you're not so sophisticated? <laughs> See, I, I've learned, the thing about having eight college degrees as you learn to read between the lines, and I know what people are really saying. <laughs> Praise God. I'm thankful today that to be used by God, you don't have to be eloquent. Those of you that don't know me will figure that out before I'm through tonight. There's a reason, though, why most people here are more eloquent than I am, and I don't, I'm not being self-debasing for any reason other than the fact to make a point, is... All, everybody almost here started school before they started preaching. Brother Moss, am I right? But I was preaching 25, I had preached pretty close to 5,000 times before I ever took my first class at a Baptist seminary to learn how to talk and speak and preach and hold myself and do hermeneutics. The first 3,000 messages I probably preached were without a microphone. So I, that creates habits that you just can't change. Praise God. But I'm glad that God's not limited by our inabilities. Praise God. I said, I'm, I'm glad that God's not limited by our abilities. Praise God. Such an honor to be with you all. I do feel like I have a word from the Lord from you all. Not from you all, well, from you all and to you, for you all today. But uh, good to feel the presence of the Lord here in this place. Praise God. God is so good. God is so good. The only, only problem about coming back every year is it seems like people grow up in great leaps and bounds. Shocked to see how the Beardsleys and the Lugos children's growing in such astonishing rates. 
Praise God. First time I came, they were all little bitty people. Little, little, little bitty people. And now they're big people with beards. <laughs> Those little people are not supposed to have beards. <laughs> Praise God. So good to be here. I'm reading today from Exodus. Exodus chapter 13, verses 14 through 16. And I'm going to read to you an occurrence that is still remembered annually by millions of Jewish people. And they still repeat the same ceremony every year. This year will be the 3,465th celebration of the Passover, if our historic timetable is accurate. 3,465 times they have celebrated the Passover. What's interesting to me is that if you look at modern Jewish writings and modern Jewish ceremonies and modern Jewish ways of explaining this particular ceremony, it is my opinion that they have lost the point. Hopefully you'll see that before I'm through today. Hopefully we as the people of the living God don't miss this point today. But reading in Exodus chapter 13, if we just go there, and back chapter 13 and verse 14, it says, and in the future, now the Passover, for those of you that may not know, was when just before God led Egypt, or, or the Israelites out of Egypt, just at this, the 10 plagues have now happened, or actually the 10th plague is about to happen that night. The children of Israel have been in slavery for 400 years. Joseph has long been forgotten. The, the Egyptians are killing all of the firstborn males, or all of the male children of the Israelite people to prevent them from raising an army against the Egyptians. God has said, let my people go, and Pharaoh has said no, and the plagues have came, and he has conceded only to change his mind and tell them they can't go, and then God has said, let my people go, and more plagues and more pestilence, and this happens nine times until God is sick of it, and he says, tonight I will kill every firstborn that does not have the Passover blood over the door. And this is kind of where we are starting to read. God is giving them instructions on how the meal is to be partaken of. What they are to eat, what they are to drink, how they are to behave. And this particular passage is going to tell them about some questions that should be asked. 
And it says in verse 14, and it shall be with thy son. And that's from the King James. Let me move to the NLT. And in the future, rather, your children will ask you, what does all this mean? Then you will tell them with the power of his mighty hand, the Lord has brought us out of Egypt the place of our slavery. Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, so the Lord killed all the firstborn males throughout the land of Egypt, both people and animals. That is why I now sacrifice all the firstborn males to the Lord, except for the firstborn sons are always brought back, bought back. This ceremony the ceremony of asking, what does this all mean? This ceremony will be like a mark branded upon your hand and your forehand, and it is a reminder, it is a reminder that the power of the Lord's mighty hand brought us out of Egypt. We see this emulated and repeated throughout the scriptures. But for example, Joshua, 40 years later as they enter in to the promise or into or they cross the Jordan fixing to enter the promised land, Joshua 24, he says in verse 15, but if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose this day, today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors your ancestors served before the Euphrates or beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Verse 16, and the people replied, we will not or we will never abandon the Lord and serve other gods. Why? For the Lord our God is one who rescued us and our ancestors from slavery in the land of Egypt. Directly correlating where they were at to where they had been. We make a choice today because yesterday we have a memory that enables faith to be alive in our heart today. Reading on there, it says, he performed many mighty miracles before our eyes as we traveled through the wilderness among our enemies. He preserves us. It was the Lord who drew out, drove out the Amorites and the other nations living here in the land. So we too will serve the Lord for he alone is our God. And again, another 40 to 50 years later in Judges chapter 6, we again see this same reasoning in verse 7, when they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to Israel and he said, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. I brought you out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave them your land. I told you I am the Lord your God. You must worship the God of the Amorites in the land that you now live. 
But you have not listened to me. You have not listened to the memories that we had. Now I stand before you today in recognition that we are living in tumultuous times. We are living in troubled times. On many fronts, at the very least, some of us grow old. Desi and Rachel are not aging one bit in the decade that I've known them, but some of us have grown old, much older in the last decade. <laughs> some of us, our health is not as strong as it once was. And we're feeble in step and maybe feeble in life. But if our own life is good and our age is still vibrant and, and strong, we live in a world that chaos is on every hand. Our world has probably never, our, our country rather, has probably never been closer to civil, large-scale civil unrest than the day in which we live in. We, we have a political mess, regardless of which side of the house you may be sitting on. We are in the midst of the greatest political mess probably in the history of our country. Our world is more at war today than probably at any point. And it's interesting, the world cries peace and safety, and yet there is war in dozens and dozens and dozens of countries. You know how you have peace and safety in a time of war? You just don't declare it. As long as you don't say it's happening, Elder, it's not happening. But trust me today, war is on every hand. Christians against Muslims and Muslims against Christians. Blacks against white and whites against blacks. Brown people and rich people and every other kind of people in turmoil with one another. We are living in tumultuous times. I didn't have to come to tell you that. You knew that when you got up this morning. And I can't promise you today that it's going to get better. I'm not going to stand here and pull at your heartstrings and promise a utopia if you vote a particular way. The Bible said that it shall wax worse and worse. Sometimes I wonder what Bible some people are reading. I saw a Bible just the other day with particular political party sticker right in the front next to the cross. I don't know if that's a different kind of Bible or what, but understand that when the cross came, it came for all of us. But we are living in a troubled world. Schools are not safe. Just this week, just a few miles from where I grew up, just a few miles from Columbine, the school that I graduated from, just a few miles down the road at Highland Ranch, charter school, another shooting happens. Just a week ago, they chased down a woman who traveled from Florida to Colorado to reenact Columbine and caught her just before she shot up another school. We're living in terrible times. Terrible times. 
But I've come today simply to remind somebody that your trials today will provide the faith that you need for tomorrow. Let me put my title slide up now. I want to speak to you for a little while today. Now I see what you mean. My screen just came up. Thank you. I, I'm slow, but it, I get convinced eventually. I wondered what this thing was doing up here. So praise God. Slow. Steady. Slow. Today's trials, I want to speak to you from this time. This, this came to me in a flash while I was praying about three or four weeks ago, agonizing for a church that I was fixed to go speak at that I knew was in the midst of great troubles and great trials. And What do I tell them? I, I, I wanted to go in there and just speak, you know, miracles, and I, I wanted to pull rabbits out of a hat and make everything better and everything new. And in the midst of that, Felt like the Holy Ghost said, just go tell them that their trials of today will produce the faith they need tomorrow. You know why that God wants the Jewish people to continue almost 4,000 years later to be reminded the very youngest child at the table turns to the eldest child or eldest adult at the table and says, why do we do this? And the eldest looks back at the youngest and says, because we were once slaves in Egypt. We once were a persecuted people. We once were put down as a reminder that the God of yesterday is still God today. Your Christianity will never be rich until you can sing it is well with my soul when it's not well with your life. Now, if anybody's tweeting, that's worth tweeting. Your Christianity will never be strong. It will never be meaningful. It'll never even be worth it until well with your soul is not a reflection of what is well with your life. And that will never happen until you realize the trials of today have a purpose. They may have a larger purpose. God tries to do many things in the midst of trials. But one thing he's consistent about is to remind us is to use them as a reminder that God is always there. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of David and Goliath. And it's, it's my favorite simply because I love the analogy of this little guy. And maybe it's because I've always felt like I'm a little guy. I don't know. Spend most of my life handicapped. 
cancer when I was young, didn't walk for many years as a teenager in a wheelchair and then, I, and then, and then on crutches and then canes and, and finally to walk and, and then get strength again and join the military only to be injured again. And now once again, I'm back in a wheelchair or I was and, and multiple series of surgeries and, and in bed for a year. And like, I always had this mentality. I was not as strong as the next person. And it wasn't helpful that I came from a, a family uh, uh, where being a real man meant you were strong and you were a hunter and you were a fisher uh, 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 in the wild and, and, and always wanting to do those things. Some of my saddest memories is when my brothers and my father would head off for their annual beard growing days in the wilderness to hunt and fish in a time when beards were a sin, except when you were deer hunting. <laughs> and I had to stay home. I couldn't grow a beard, which means I wasn't a man, I was just a little guy. So I related a rush to a, a man who was still a young lad. His beard had not yet begun to grow. Got left behind when the real men went out to war. Oh, there's so many things I like about this story. When I went to the mission field, now this may be crazy. There's not a whole lot of hermeneutical sense to it, but sometimes God allows us to be amused with our own weirdness. When, we went, when I went to the mission field, I, need, I wanted to get a post office box there because I had left the military and I traveled for six months and, and, uh, and I needed somewhere for mail to go. I needed an address, especially because all my military, all my, all my stuff in the military was being shipped to this address. And so, so I wrote the post office on the Bering Sea of Alaska and asked them for a post office box. And I specifically prayed. This is the crazy part. I specifically prayed that God would give me a message in the post office box. Now, that's, I know that sounds crazy. But, you know, if you're fixing to go to where the average temperature of the year, the average temperature of the year is around 20 below zero, oh, it gets up to a really balmy 50 degrees on a few days in the summer, but I was there with the record lowest temperature on this continent, 101 below zero without wind chill factor was recorded. You need signs from God when you do those kind of things. <laughs> you want to know how cold 60 below zero is? When you spit, it bounces. <laughs> you could spit on the sidewalk and then just reach over, pick it up and throw it off to the side. That's not a joke. You could take a hot cup of coffee and throw it like this. You could see this on Facebook if you're so inclined, not Facebook, but YouTube. Take a hot cup of coffee, just throw it out in 60 degree below zero air, and it just becomes a coffee cloud, hangs there. <laughs> I needed a sign from God. So I got the post office box back in the mail with a key and said, your box is P.O. Box 1748. Well, I was really hoping for P.O. Box 
Acts 2.38, you know, just something like that. Um, that's that was what I was hoping for, you know. I didn't have any, any hermeneutical training or I had a pre-med degree at that time. I didn't have much of anything else. I, you know, I just kind of stuck my finger in an electrical Holy Ghost socket when I preached and whatever came out happened. Some of it I'm not real proud of today. I have this secret catch of tapes that hopefully nobody will ever listen to with specific instructions to be burned before my son ever listens to them when I die. I'm not sure why I keep them. The only good thing is they're on cassettes and reel-to-reel, so he probably won't have the ability to play them when I die. So he'll just keep them as a souvenir. And his kids will say, what's that, Daddy? Well, your grandfather. Back in the days, just shortly after the Constantinople wagon. But as I begin to contemplate 1748, I, I discovered something interesting. There is only one... Chapter 17, verse 48 in the Bible. Just one. I'm not going to read it to you today, but if you want to read it, it's in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 48. And it said, and when Daniel went out to meet Goliath, he ran out to meet him. That was pretty significant if you're going to go to a place like the Arctic. So I've always had a fascination with David. Now, let's just do a little background. David is at home. The boys have all went off to fight a war. And one day, Daddy comes and says, hey, I want you to go and take some cheese to the captain. I want you to take some bread to the boys. I want you to find out what's happening and come back. Now, David was probably bored with being a shepherd. Contrary to what you may think, shepherding is not a real exciting adventure. 99% of the time, you do nothing. It's like a paramedic or a firefighter. We don't pay them, Brother Horn, for what they do all the time. It's those moments of sheer terror that are inspersed. You can't pay them enough. They pay you $1,000 an hour for that one minute and the rest of the time, you don't get paid for nothing because you just sit around and play dominoes or whatever you do. <laughs> I know I was a paramedic for a long time, so I can give Brother Horn a hard, hard time. I know exactly what it's like. So David, he's going to go out. But David's had a few interesting experiences, and I've thought about this a lot. He has had a couple of really exciting episodes. He met a bear and a lion. Now, let me just tell you something. I guarantee you daddy did not say, son, I want you to go out and watch the sheep. And if a lion shows up, just slap him. I guarantee you Jesse did not say that. I, I'm more inclined to think that Jesse said, now, David, you watch a sheep, and if anything bad happens, you come get me. That's what a normal father would do. I remember when I was a teenager, I was left to babysit my younger siblings. We got a 
phone call that said they were coming to kill my sister. This was before you could go star six, nine and find out who called or caller ID didn't exist. There were old dial phones, you know. Most of you don't have no clue what that is or what I'm talking about, but. I called the police, the police came, took a report, and the police officer said, it's really just a prank. I'm sure it's just a prank. But he said, I'm gonna sit down the hill. Now my mom and dad had went out to eat. I, told, I tried to call the restaurant, they didn't answer the phone. I told the police where they want. The police said, we'll try to send somebody over there to find them and have them come home. But we're going to sit right down the hill here and if anybody shows up. So where we lived in the country, the sun began to set and the sun always shined right up in our driveway. So it was almost dark and, and it was in a time when you couldn't see really anything. And my dad, or not my, well, it was my dad. See, I told you the punchline before I got to the real part. But about 10 or 15 minutes later, now, I'm just a kid, but I know where my dad's got the guns. Now, I'm not recommending this. This is, don't do, try this at home. But I got that shotgun out of the closet and I loaded her up. Buddy, I'm gonna defend myself. Now, my dad, wouldn't, didn't, that's not what my dad wanted me to do. But about 10 minutes after the police had set up down the hill, a car pulled into the driveway. I was not expecting my parents home for another hour or two. And so I thought, this is it. This is the OK Corral. It is Joey Payton against the bad people in the world. I stepped out onto that, on that veranda of that farmhouse, stepped down off the steps with a shotgun in my hands, and suddenly the lights at the bottom of the hill where the cop was sitting, the lights come on, and they come roaring up the hill. Two cops come barreling out of their cars with guns drawn. and. Slowly the door opens on the car and my dad says, Joey, is everything all right? <laughs> I thought my dad was, I really expected to get killed that night by my dad. <laughs> my siblings were safe, but to be honest with you, my dad was very nice about it. He just sat me down and he said, look, son, I did not leave you here to fight with anybody. He said, if you were that concerned, you should have just left. You had a car, you could have gotten a car and just drove down the road to some friend's house and stayed there. You didn't have to do this. You don't do this. And I don't want you to fight. If, it, if a lion and a bear comes out of the woods when you're here next time, just go somewhere else. I'm pretty sure that's what Jesse told David. But that, y'all know, that's not what happened. It's not what happened. So now David's going to be with his brothers and he gets down there and they're all hiding. You know the story. I'm not going to read it all and go into it all. But they're hiding and he's listening. He's like, what's going on, you know? Well, there's this guy out there and this guy out there making fun of the people of Israel and they're all hiding. And David's got this bag with cheeses and bread. His beard's not yet begin to grow. He probably had some real fluffy things around the edges, you know, where, you know how kids' beards, just look at the Beardsley boys, you know. <laughs> it's all right, bro. Turns into a man, but you'll be looking like your dad in another three years. It's what happens inevitably. That's how David was. Finally, David realized this guy's out there making fun of God. He just gets up and says, well, I'll go fight this guy. Just calm down, everybody. 
Calm down. He's talking to men with full-grown beards, arms bulging with muscle. He's just a little boy. He said, it's okay. I got this. Calm down. Saul hears about it and sends for him. David goes to Saul and says, now look, buddy, you're just a kid. I appreciate the fact that you feel strong and you feel brave and you... David says, now wait a minute. Now this is where I'm going to start reading. I'm going to use the King James because some of the humor is lost in the NLT. So I am going to use the King James here. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32, it says, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fear, fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're just a youth. And he's a man of war since he was a young man. Now notice what David said. And David says, Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep. I'm sure just about this time Saul's in his mind thinking, yeah, so what of it? Big deal. It's not really, shepherding does not outfit you for fighting giants. But he says, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. Now, this is the point when daddy probably said, come get me. Come get me. But David knew that at the very least they were going to lose a sheep. So the Bible says, and I went out after him. And smote him. Now get a word picture for this. A lion grabs a sheep. Now we're not talking about a pussycat. We're talking about a man-eating lion. We're talking about a full-grown carnivorous beast. He grabs a lamb, a sheep, and David just walks out there and smacks him. Boom! You got to get the humor of it. You got to get the humor of it. And I delivered it. I took the sheep out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, you got to get this picture. He walks out. He slaps the lion and takes the lamb. And the lion rises up against him. Now, this sounds like a really good time to run. You got the sheep. You got the feet. Let's go. But David, the Bible says, I caught him by his beard. Boo! I thought about bringing him by the beard and grabbing him by his beard, but <laughs> thought that might be disrespectful. I love him too much. Oh, I guarantee I could get a hold of it, bro. <laughs> Grabs the lion by his beard and pulls him up close and slays him. He doesn't just kill him. He grabs his beard and kills him. Do you get, you get what I'm trying to say? There's something very humorous about this picture. Walks up to the lion, slaps him, takes the lamb. The lion raises up. He just grabs him by the beard and cuts his throat and it's over with. This sounds really funny. You got to remember, he's just a lad. His beard has not yet begun to grow. He didn't have lessons on lion slaying. There was no shepherd school for lion slayers or bear slayers. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. So this didn't just happen once. He got into a habit of doing this. 
It's like it worked once, man. So he just walked up to the bear. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if you've ever been close to a bear in a while, but there's been a couple times in Alaska and a couple times in Maine that I was way too close for comfort. One time I was sitting on a bridge with my two boys when they were just little bitty guys. I'm talking about seven and eight years old. And we were sitting on a bridge and I heard a snort and I turned around and there was a bear on the bridge about 10 feet behind us sniffing. (laughs) Honey, I was ready to feed one of those kids the bear and jump off. There was no inclination in me to slap him, let alone to grab him by the beard. (laughs) Fortunately, he just sniffed a couple times and walked away. Must not have been a hungry day. (laughs) Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. Now, this is the point I'm getting to. And this uncircumcised Philistine, because of the trial yesterday, I'm not afraid of the Philistine today. You see, some of us are afraid of the devil today because we've been running from him since yesterday. Every one of us probably know great people of faith. And I'll guarantee if you sit down and talk to them, they will begin to tell you stories about about how God delivered them and how they went through this sickness and that trial and God was there. And there was times they didn't have enough money and God provided and, and they went through this lean time and they went through this painful time and they went through this and they went through that. And that's why today I'm strong in my faith because yesterday's trials... Yesterday's trials have provided the faith that I need for today. Yesterday's trials provide the needed faith for today. What we need is less people running from lions and bears. And I'm speaking spiritually today. Hopefully none of you will face any literal bears this week. But some of you will face some spiritual bears and some very spiritual big things in your life and, and some things that are just big because life is not fair at times. How well you survive today will be determined by how you faced him yesterday and the God that was with you, the trials that you've been through, the trials of today is going to produce the faith you need tomorrow. And I started with a, with a very brief outline of a world that is in t- turmoil and trouble. And I wish I could tell you that times were going to get better. But I, I'm fairly certain that if my Bible is even remotely accurate, that we're living in a world that's going to get more and more wicked as the end time comes upon us. And as we live into the end times, we're going to face persecution. And I hear people tell me all the time, and, and I've even counseled people that, that were petrified of the fear of living into the end time. They always say, I just don't know if I can do it. I, I, I can't even stand the sight of blood. And, and I pass out when they pull a sliver. And, and, and I haven't been immunized since uh, my mother held me down when I was one years old. And I, I'm just scared of everything. And how am I going to be able to do it if somebody gives me the ultimate choice? I'll tell you how you do it. Uh, you quit running from lions and bears in your life today. Uh, and they will provide you. This is what Yahweh was trying to do to the children of Israel when he said, every year from now on you 
need to remember where you came from. You need to remember you were a slave in Egypt. You need to remember that Yahweh brought you out. You need to remember, hallelujah, because the day's going to come when you're going to face the Midianites. And when you're persecuted by the Midianites, you need to be reminded I was the God who brought you out of the Egyptians. Oh, what they forgot when the Babylonians took them over. Hallelujah. They forgot that their God was the God that delivered them from Egypt. When the Romans conquered them, it was because they'd forgotten that their God. So now, 3,600 some odd years later, the ceremony has evolved from what the Bible called it and what the Bible says it. So now they, they ask questions like, why do we eat crackers instead of bread? Why do we lay down instead of sit up? Why do we do this instead of that? But no reminder of Egypt. You see, the devil doesn't want you to be reminded of the victories of yesterday. Hallelujah, Pastor, you know, the, God, the, the devil doesn't want you to remember uh, where this church came from. Hallelujah, the persecution uh, that's come out of it. Uh, because if he could just destroy the memories, you don't have to attack your faith directly. If he can destroy your memories. I said, if he can destroy your memories. If he can destroy your memories. Hallelujah. Never forget the God that's brought you out. Hallelujah. Arash, never forget. Hallelujah, the God that brought you out of Iran. Hallelujah is the God that's going to help you face the trials. Hallelujah of tomorrow. Hallelujah. Desi, the trials of yesterday are your strength for today. Hallelujah. That's why it's so important we know that God was there. Hallelujah. We understand the importance of the God that's present. Hallelujah, because his presence yesterday guarantees our faith today. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I close with these words in Hebrews chapter 11 with the last verse, or the second to the last verse, verse 39, and all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Hallelujah, this was not a faith based upon, hallelujah, miracles and, and, and prosperity. Hallelujah, but this was a faith built on being faithful in, in spite of the fact that God, hallelujah, had not always answered their prayers. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them, none of them, none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us. Hallelujah. God had some, some of your trials is, in, is, is trying to lead you into a better place. But if God, Brother Moss, threw you at the very big trial that you need to be taken to a new level in him, the very first time you wouldn't survive. Hallelujah, but he sends some bears and some lions along your ways. Hallelujah, and you may sit there and say, why do I have to face the bear? Why do I have to face the lion? I'll tell you why, there's some giants coming down the road. I said, there's some giants coming down the road because God has called some of you to be a king. God has called some of you to be a leader. God has called some of you to do some great things. And the road to greatness leads through bears and lions and giants. Hallelujah. 
hallelujah. But if you run from the bear, you'll run from the giant. And if you run from the giant, you'll run from the calling. You'll run from the God. I spoke with my mother this morning. So concerned about one of our relatives. Seems so depressed. I postulated the idea now that he's old and gray-headed. Steps are now getting slow. How that he had been pretty much a depressed person his whole life. And my, asked my mom, I said, is it possible? Is it possible that he's ran from a calling? Is it ran from what God's called him to do? Hallelujah. Might be too late because his age is too advanced to change what he's run from. But you see, when you develop a spiritual pattern of running... Yet none of these received all that God had promised for God had something better. God had something better for us so that they would not reach, reach perfection without us. Notice the first verse in the next chapter. Therefore, since we are surrounded, therefore, therefore meaning what came before it. What is it there for? What, what, is, what was the point of Hebrews 11? Hebrews 11 was about faith as a substance of things hoped for. It was about without faith man cannot please God. It was about these all died in the faith. It was about that none of them received the promise. It was a faith in God that, was, that superseded any giving to them. The, therefore these all these people, or I'm re therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, some of you that just been here a short time and you've not heard the stories, I'm sure Bishop Beardsley could tell you stories of lead times, times and all that stood between him. And the church in bankruptcy might have been a prayer meeting when health seemed to be feeble in some and problems seemed giants. But Newark exists today because somebody grabbed a lion by the beard. Hallelujah. Somebody fought the bear. Somebody fought a giant. Today, we are surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Therefore, let us lay aside every weight that slows us down, especially the sins that so easily trip us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Today's trials produce tomorrow's faith. Somebody hearing me today as we stand together? Today's trials. You say, well, I don't have any trials today, Brother Peyton. You will. You will. You will. You will. And when you do, I want you to remember that trial is going to provide the faith you need for tomorrow. If you make it through that trial, it's going to be because you remembered. Don't let the indictments that constantly came back against the Israelites. You're not listening. 
You see, they wanted more kings, they wanted more power, they wanted more land, they wanted more of everything. What they didn't have time for is memories. Didn't have time for remembering. Let us never pass up an opportunity to remember that we were once slaves in Egypt. We were once sinners. Even the best of you were once sinners. Even the best of you today struggle against sin. You never grow so old that you're not fighting the battle of evil. You're never going to reach a point where you're not battling against temptation. But I'm here to tell you that those trials will produce tomorrow's faith. God bless you. Before you come and pray, Dr. Payton told you that he received this sermon in another context. I know he knows about this, so I'm not sure how much God even did this sermon in knowledge, but you and I need to hear something. January of 2017, I preached to you a vision series in which I challenged us to chase the lions. Chase them into a pit. There's not a mistake in that. And we have been chasing lions. Recently, as I have made financial decisions with this church, we have faced some faith tests. They're trials. Recently, I was complaining to the Lord, how long do I have to deal with this lion? And his answer back to me was very simple. If you cannot spend $100,000 now, you won't spend the million when I need you to. Are we going to be the base that plants the churches, the campuses, and the autonomous churches that reaches Philadelphia or not? Are we simply going to proclaim that dream and hold it high or are we going to do it? If we're going to do it, we don't get to pick the preparation. The master does. Because I'm telling you right now that that lion and that bear obeys its master. Because the lions we face are not lions that just came out of nowhere. Because God sent that lion and God sent that bear. Because he knew there was coming a day when the man after his own heart was going to rise to be the king of Israel. And he needed to prepare him. So he sent the lion. And he sent the bear to prepare David to take the giant that would then lead to his kingship. You can go read the story of David. Without the giant, there is no King David. There was a confidence in David. There was a, an authority that operated in David. Now here's the reality. We think we're ready for giants. But you're only ready for giants unless you'll fight by fighting today the lions and the bears. That's the bottom line. So whether in your own personal walk and you got some lions and you got some bears 
And you really want to run from them. And God, why are you putting me under this? And why are you asking me to forgive this? Or why are you asking me to release this? Or why are you asking me to do this that makes absolutely no sense? Because, ladies and gentlemen, it does not in anybody's world make sense to run after a lion, to grab the lamb out of his mouth, and to grab him by his beard, and to try to fight a lion. Even if you rework the story that it was simply a mountain lion instead of the lions we think of in Africa, it does not matter. Even if it's a small bear as opposed to some massive bear, it does not matter. It does not make sense. No one would counsel to run after a lion. You don't chase lions. But you do if you're called to do something in the kingdom. You do if you're called to be set free from the slavery of Egypt. You do if you're called to do something in Almighty God's plans. Fight your lions today. Run after your bears today. Take the steps of faith today because it's on those crazy steps that God builds his future. You don't take a woman who has just survived cancer and the death of of a stillborn child, the birth of a stillborn child, you do not take them and leave your lucrative foundational job with 10% raises every six months. You do not quit that job and go to work for a fledgling Bible school that can belly up in one year. You don't do that. If you got half a brain. I speak to the elders that are in my life. Please hear me. I know that I'm scaring you. I'm scaring myself. But I would rather die at the hands of the lion with the chance to take the giant than to play it safe and God go find somebody else. So we will chase the lion. We will not back up from the lion. And we're not just going to deal with him in defensive posture. No, we're going to chase him until he falls in a hole. And then we're going to jump down in the hole and we're going to stand down there and go toe-to-toe with him. And if God doesn't show up, that lion will eat us alive. But I serve a God that does not back down. He's shown up every single time. We're here today because he didn't back up. We're here today because he made a way. We're here today because he has been the God that's been faithful in the past. And so I challenge him to be faithful today so that we can be here tomorrow. Whether it's in my life or it's in yours, whether it's us as a congregation, we've got to believe in the God who enables us to chase lions and kill bears. We have to. Because if not... What are we doing? What's the point? Because except the Lord build the house, we labor in vain. We're wasting our time. What is the meaning of life if not to live dangerously in the eyes of our God? To live boldly in the eyes of our God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So if you didn't understand and you thought, man, I, I, life's pretty good. I'm doing okay. Well, then understand this message was for your pastor. This message was for the leadership of this church because we're putting some things on the line. We're putting some things at risk. We're going after some things. And yes, if God doesn't show up, we are in trouble. But I, I believe in the God who showed up in my past. I believe in the God who showed up in the past of my parents. I believe in the God who showed up in the past of this movement. I believe in the God who showed up in David's life and Saul's life and, da- and Paul's life and all all of the many, many stories. I believe in that God.
So I challenge him. Show up in this life too, God. This altar's open. Would you come and pray? Would you come?